spent $22,000 to buy the property, $17,000 to fix it up. I'm $39,000 in. I was able to fix it up within 45 days. And then I was able to appraise, that property was appraised for $115,000. I was able to refi, cash out, take about 80 something thousand dollars, put that into a bank account. Imagine doing that for 10 times over a 10 year period. Now you have like $800,000 saved in a bank account. And imagine if the rental income from that property is about like 10,000 a year after you pay like your mortgage, say you're getting 5,000. 5,000 times 10 mean that now you have $50,000. But remember, you have 10 of these houses. So now you have $500,000 plus 800,000. So you probably have close to a million or over a million dollars saved. And that's why I went from one property in 2009 to nine properties in 2018 and then 35 properties in 2019. Welcome everyone to the Cassandra Properties Podcast. Um, again, we've got a real treat for you today. We're joined by KR. He is the co-founder of KJ Consulting and a real estate investor with an unbelievable story. Um, KR, thank you so much for joining us today. We're really looking forward to this one. How's things going? First of all, I'm excited to be on your platform. You guys have been doing amazing work for the past 20 years. So I'm fired up. I'm excited. The weather is nice. I can't complain. Um, I'm ready to go. Retired. So this it's all good from here. It's only, it's only going to get better. Amazing. So thank you for the kind words. You know, it means a lot, especially hearing it from someone with an unbelievable story like you have. So uh, for the folks out there uh, listening, you know, KR has put together uh, a pretty remarkable platform. And, you know, we say on this show from time to time that necessity is the mother of all invention, right? That, uh, you know, when you're in a certain circumstance, people that are unique and special the way you are, find a way to rise up and to uh, cut through the noise, if you will, and yes. get on what needs to get done. So I think it would be really helpful uh, if you're open to it sharing the the story kind of your upbringing where you came from okay yeah absolutely so um i came from a family where i was raised by my single mother uh and had six siblings um we were living in uh what i like to say um housing insecurity um food and shelter insecurity what i mean by that is that sometimes we didn't know where we we're going to get our next meal where we we're going to live and I remember very vividly uh, when I was like in kindergarten, at one point, our house had burned down. And I remember a kindergarten teacher bringing us some KFC. And I was excited about the original chicken, which I love, dark meat. I'm a thighs guy if you ever bring me some food. Um, but what I didn't like was that she had the mac and cheese and mashed potatoes. And I'm like, you're killing me. I like some coleslaw to pass it, to balance it out. But I remember looking up in, in at the third floor, which our third floor was missing because our house burned down and I could see stars. And from that moment on, I had a burning desire to build a legacy and also achieve financial freedom and also become something. So from that early age, we moved around a lot. We were homeless at one point. Uh, we rented a lot. And one of my siblings uh, was murdered by the father of her uh, three children. And also one of my brothers went off to prison for attempted murder the year before I went to college. So 
during that young time where I was learning about life, I really started to apply myself. And I said, look, I have to get out of this. I don't want to live on welfare. I want to see if I can become something better um, than what I was used to growing up. And so I applied myself and did extraordinarily well in high school and became valedictorian and played sports and got a full scholarship to Bowdoin College. And I went off to Maine first time on, on a plane, first in the family on a plane and uh, applied myself, worked on Wall Street, uh, throughout the four years during my summers, and then took a job at Goldman Sachs in investment banking, and then bought my first real estate investment property in 2009. And by 2018, I owned nine rental units. By 2019, I owned 35 rental units. And by 2020, I owned 105 rental units. So I purchased, I purchased 70 units in the middle of a pandemic. Um, and so then I retired on August 31st and now I have a property management business. We do cleaning, we do light rehab. Um, and I have 85 units in the Philadelphia area and 20 units in the, um, Harrisburg area. And so I started KJ consulting, which the, my website is KJ consulting. And also the IG page is, uh, KJ consulting and where we teach people about real estate. So my business partner, Joe, I had him as a student. And then he became a debt investor. Then he became one of my partners on an apartment building complex. And then he said, KR, I know you're doing these private lessons. Why don't we start to teach the world? And that's how we started KJ Consulting last year when I retired. So, so that's my story. You retired at the age of 37. Is that correct? That is correct. Yeah. So um, I know you gave a brief roll up there, but that is one hell of a quantum leap going oh. from the challenges you had as a kid to landing uh retired at 37 so if i may uh you know you you referenced a moment where you're looking up through the roof and you you know it was a roof and you're seeing the stars you know <laughs> at what age did you did it really click where you knew obviously you wanted to to lift yourself up and and i you know applaud you for having that type of tenacity to continue to to fight through but at what point did, did it trigger that real estate is where you wanted to operate? That's a great, great question. That actually happened, um, I would say, in the seventh grade. Because in the seventh grade, in middle school, I was still kind of like a C student, wasn't really that focused. High school is when I got focused. And it was, a, it was in the seventh grade, I started to look around. And I noticed that I had two sisters that were teenage parents. Um, and I was like, wow, they're, they're struggling to raise their kids. At that time, we were living in a studio apartment and we had like 11 people living in a studio apartment where we didn't have a bathroom door. We just had like a sheet and you had to walk through it. We didn't have a stove, just had a hot plate. And I was thinking, I was like, look, when I walk down the street, I see homeless people. I see also um, bus drivers and all these different things. And I said, all those people are going to have to be replaced. And I said, I don't want to replace the homeless person. I don't want to replace the teenage dad or to replace the drug dealer or replace the struggling businessman. I want to replace the real estate owner, the landlord. So I tell people I have a PhD in being a tenant because we move so much. Like we live, I, we lived on 50th and Walton, 56th and Walton, 51st and um, Spruce. We lived on 20th and Carpenter. We lived on 17th, 1701 uh, 5th Street, which is like, Seems to be more, fifth seems to be more, 26 seems to be more. And I'm like, man, I, I live so many places. So I started to say, what is going on? Who do I want to replace? 
And also I was a part of a church, a small black church that was struggling and they will always collect money. And then I remember on 52nd and Spruce, there was a restaurant, Big George's, and President Bill Clinton ate there. It was very something pride that people took pride in, but the business got shut down. And I was like, all these people have a great heart, but they don't understand business and economics. So what I did is I took it upon myself to start burying myself in books. I went to like Barnes and Noble and at the University of Penn and just read books about wealth management, about real estate. And so that's when it really started to click. I start reading about real estate and stocks and wealth management at the age of 13 and 14. And I remember telling my mother, I said, I'm ready to go invest in some stocks. She said, boy, you're not going to lose a dime on my watch. You can do whatever you want when you're 18. But while you're up in my house, this is how we're going to rock out. And so I had to just start with certificates of deposits and stuff like that until I graduated um, from high school. So as you were, were growing up, was there um, a mentor or somebody that you looked to that inspired you or somebody that kind of reached down and helped you through? Did you have any any inspirations? I, I always tell people I didn't have inspiration in terms of like someone who was a real estate uh, guru or investor or someone that was a stock investor or a guru or a business person. No, I didn't have that. But what I tell people is that I'm not self-made. I am community made. So my community had made me. So what I mean by that is that even though my church or my loved ones, my aunts and uncles and brothers and sisters, even though some of them may not have been educated in business or educated in terms of uh, how to raise children the right way, what they did is they poured into you. And so I tell people what you have to always remember is that you go to work to, to get a paycheck. You go to school to get an education and you go to your loved ones and your close friends to get love. And so my family and friends and mentors, they poured into me and they prayed for me and they watched over me and they gave me everything that they had. And it was my job to try and make that uh, take it to the next level. And so that's that's what I was surrounded um, by type of people like that. They gave you what they had. And so I would go to one person I remember in high school. Um, uh, I didn't enunciate all these words properly before I went off to college. And so I, I had asked one of my teachers if I had an after school job. I said, can I go and spend time with you? Even though I played sports and had an after school job, I would say, can I spend time with you during lunch or after school just practicing how to enunciate certain words before I go and explore my, my dreams on Wall Street? And so I had people who would step in and help me throughout the way. So many people. That's why I said I'm community made. I'm definitely not self-made. You know, there, there's so many blessings in what you're you're talking about there. You know, uh, it seems like the the light bulb or the switch flipped for you, and you knew you had to apply yourself in a real meaningful way at high school. Do you think that was a just a function of maturity as you were getting older, or was there anything specific? Hell no, because a lot of my friends, um, like in seventh grade or eighth grade, they still was walling out. I remember going out, trying out for the track team. And because our school was so damn poor, they said, all right, meet outside in front of the school. I said, all right, let's meet outside. I said, oh, so we don't have a track. Are we going to go to a track? They said, no, we're going to run around a block. I said, hell no, I'm out. And so a lot of people had that mentality that if it wasn't where I grew up, if it wasn't right in front of you and it wasn't easy, to see how point A will get you to point B, then people will give up. So I just think that I started to look at things differently saying, look, I see my loved ones going through a lot of hardship. I also um, 
my stepdad and also people in, around me had said, look, don't be an F up. Like my stepdad would say, don't be an F up like me or what have you. You can apply what we know works. Like a lot of us, we, we know what it takes, but we don't apply ourselves. So I always figured out the three D's at a really young age, where if you have the desire and then you have the discipline, then you will be determined to achieve your goal. So I always tell people that desire starts with the three D's, the desire and then the discipline will push you to the level where you can achieve and, and, and make you determined. Nothing will stop you. You'll be relentless. You'll be like a pit bull. So matter what the world is throwing at you, I learned very early on, keep coming out the corner swinging. So, you know, KR, does, does everybody have the three Ds? Does everyone have that ability? That's a, you know what? The three Ds can be taught. That's the thing about it. So some people have gifts and the gifts can be to teach people. Some people have the gift of singing, but a desire, determination and discipline, I think we can teach that. And so we have to plant the seed. So once we, we help the kids or young people or even adults start to imagine themselves and be creative, then you start to unlock. Our job as teachers and coaches and professionals is to teach people, how do you unlock these talents and these gifts? Because the desire sits up in you. And then we need people to give us concrete examples about how do you become disciplined? So what we teach at KJ Consulting, Joe and I, is we say you need to come up with two to four things that you want to do every day, two to four big things you want to do for the whole year, break that into two to four things you want to do every three months. And before you know it, if you do what's necessary, then you do what's possible, you'll find yourself doing the impossible. Again, you do what's necessary, be a good person, figure out the basic stuff, brush your teeth, floss, just do the basic stuff. You're going to win just by that. And then just do what's possible. So that's what I did by buying one house over a, a nine year period, one house at a year, not trying to run anybody else's race, ran my own race. And before you know it, you're doing the possible. You had a kid who had a negative net worth at birth. And then by the time 2018, he's waking up and he's like, wow, I own nine rental properties. My family couldn't even own one house. We used to rent every place, living in people basements. What the hell happened? I did what was necessary, then did what's possible and find myself doing the impossible. So it first starts with teaching the children and young people, adults about the desire. Then, it then you have to teach people the discipline. How do we become disciplined? How do we break big projects into really small? How do we reward ourselves for these achievements? And then we have to teach you how to be determined. And determination is like, you gotta find what are the rudiments of becoming determined? How do you figure out what can motivate you? If you don't know what motivates you when you're down, then you're, you're out, you're out for the count. So I tell people, I give them some tricks. What Joe and I do is teach you, how do you become motivated when you're having a hard day? And so you, you stack the odds in your favor, whether that's the motivational music or stuff. Like I was saying earlier, go to work to get a paycheck, go to school to get an education, and then you go to your loved ones and your family members and friends to get love. When you mix them up, that's when you have the issue. Um, and so I think that once you have that, that inner peace, and you're sharpening your tool, whether every day you call one love person, even if you have a terrible day that lifts your spirits. I have an aunt, I believe she's like 87. And every time I call her, I could be like 
really pissed off. She goes, oh my, I'm so happy. I'm your lawyer. What's going on? She'll lift your spirits. And that's all she does. Doesn't have to feed me, doesn't have to hug me, but her spirits lifts, lifts me. And I think that we can teach that to this next generation. And also older people have lost hope. So there's so much of what you're saying here resonates for me. And, and there's so much value between the lines of what you're talking about, right? So as part of your your course that you're teaching and in this boot camp, I find that people um, very often get lost in the weeds, right? They take a look and they say, well, how am I going to get here from here? You putting yourself out there the way you have, um, you know, the podcast that you've been on, the content that you put out, um, it's, it's unabashed, raw reality. I think what you're sharing is absolutely amazing because it's real. Um, and people, people bump up against, you know, how do I get to this next spot? And what I think they forget to do is celebrate wins. Yeah. Right? Yes. So, uh, do, and by that, I mean, a win doesn't have to be buying a, a property. A win doesn't have to be buying 10 properties. There are so many little wins along the way that people either forget or don't recognize that they should celebrate. Is that something that you layer into the course? Absolutely. I remember uh, I had said that I worked really hard. So when I went in when it was at, when I was in college, I didn't go on any vacations. I just was working and studying, busting my butt off to do really well. I was on a dean's list three out of four years at Bowdoin College, worked my butt off. And what I said is that after I finished my two-year stint at Goldman Sachs doing investment banking, I said I'm going to go on an amazing vacation. I said, I'm not going to just go um, somewhere basic to Puerto Rico or just go to Jamaica. I said, I'm going to go big. And so what I did is my first time ever get on a plane, I went all the way to Australia. My family said, oh, hell no. You're just crazy as all hell. First, you grew up in Philadelphia. You're going to go to Maine. I said, what's, what's wrong with Maine? They said, you might as well go to college in Canada. And then I graduate in 2005. And I go and work for this uh, investment bank. And at 2007, I tell my family, oh, guys, I'm about to go on my first vacation. They said, all right, so where are you going to go somewhere local? You're going to go to Mexico? I said, hell no. I just worked my behind off. I just did four years at college. I just did two years at Goldman Sachs. You're lucky I'm still alive. So I'm going to Australia. So I went to Australia for 14 days and had a blast. Um, and so I think, and then after I finished my stint, before I went to business school, I went to Paris. So I think it's very important that you figure out what it is that will help you um, re-energize, feel fulfilled. Um, and like sometimes I walk down the street, I do a cartwheel just to make sure to see if I still got it because I'm so, I can't believe my life is the way it is. Um, I'll, I'll go to a nice little dinner with my loved ones. Um, so I think it's very, very important to celebrate those small success uh, and, and take it every, every day. I'm one of those people I pray on my knees in the morning and every night um, because the Lord has been good to me. Um, so I think that people have to figure out what works for you and make sure you always do that because it's going to help you get to the next level. Like my business partner, he used to drink a lot of coffee, but now what he does, if he does well on some tasks or what have you, he'll give himself a coffee once a week or something. So you got to figure out what are the little ways that you award yourself. Like my, I don't eat ice cream. And I'm trying to put y'all on. If you really want to figure out what's the best replacement for ice cream, frozen grapes. I buy them fresh and I put them in the freezer 
And then I'd be like, yo, I'm about to give me some ice cream. And so that 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 that's how I reward myself. So amazing, right? You you're celebrating the wins, it's re-energizing you, it's giving you uh first of all that that kind of in the moment feeling of gratification. And it, it allows you to, to recenter and think about what's next. As you're going through this journey, you land uh, at Goldman Sachs, which is, you know, there is no higher bar, right, for investment banking. How did that all come about? Well, the thing for me, uh, what's fascinating is I went to University High School, which was one of the worst schools in the city, public school. It was so bad. We had a mini police station. They shut it down. Uh, the school has been ripped down. It's no longer up. It was so bad. Um, and I had a tutor. His his name was David. And I remember he went up to the board. Uh, he was one of my SAT, uh, SAT tutor. He went up to the board and he had wrote like the different types of jobs. I said, what are you going to do when you graduate from Wharton? He went to the University of Penn, uh, the business school, Wharton. And he put at the top, he said, these are investment bankers. Then he talked about um, lawyers and professionals. Then he talked about teachers and he talked about everyday workers. And he said, I'm going to be one of them. I said, David is, I, I'm like a, a high school man. I'm like, yo, how much they make? He, he was like, they make a lot. And I was like, well, David, he's smart. I think I'm smart too. I think I, could, I can go after that. I think I'm going to go to investment bank. So he went to, he went to go work for Bank of America. And I had said, what was, what's the top banks? He was like, at the time, Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley. I said, oh, but then when I go to college, I, I think I'm going to, I always wanted to do finance and uh, real estate since I was like 13. But I didn't know exactly which route to take. But after I met him and heard his story where he was going to Wall Street, I said, I'm going to go to Wall Street. I'm smart. I can work hard. I know this guy. Um, I'm resilient. I'm hardworking. And so that's when it started. And when I went to college, I said, I'm going to explore the finance food chain. So my freshman year, I did asset management, got exposure to uh, American Express. My sophomore year, I did sales and trading at Potential Securities. And then my junior year, I did investment banking at Credit Suisse and a technology group. Um, and then I decided to go to Goldman Sachs um, for the start of my career in consumer retail. So it, it, was, it started at a very young age, seeing someone else going into a profession and then reading books and figuring out that that was the best training for me. It was like going off to Vietnam or something. So um, you're, you're an avid reader. I know some of the books uh, that you recommend highly, The Six Pillars of Self-Esteem. Yes. Uh, the essential handbook for landlords, blue ocean strategy. Um, you know, if, if you're someone that is looking to take the plunge, looking to, to jump to the next level, do you recommend that they start with the, the self-improvement, the self-help stuff first, or would you recommend they jump into more of a real estate based book? Well, well, I will recommend, and I, I, I definitely recommend all the books on KJ Consulting, uh, our IG page. But what I would really recommend that you do is you don't have to be great to get started, but you have to get started to be great. And what I mean by that is some people will find themselves reading and reading and reading until they're blue in the face. I would rather for you go out there and I tell my business partner and other people, go pick up two books and say you're going to read 10 pages a day. Within one month, you'll be done the, the motivational book. You'll, and then the next month, you'll be done a real estate book. All right, we did enough reading. I need you to get in the game. So the best thing you can do is 
You don't have to be great to get started, but you have to get started to be great. So try to go work with a practitioner, try to get some real life experience because time is of the essence. And then it gets back to that discipline. If you force yourself to read 10 pages, I don't care if you're taking a number two, number one, if you're sitting down, maybe stand up, read that, that, that book five pages a day, 10 pages a day, before you know it, you'll finish one or two of those books. You don't have to read 50 books on mindset. Your mindset will start to change as you take action. The problem is that so many people are stuck. They'll spend 50 years thinking and two days working. I'm the opposite. My, uh, my stepdad used to call me the executioner because I like to execute. Um, and so I'd rather you do something. I, I tell people I'd rather for you be precise, uh, approximately right than precisely wrong. And so you'd be precisely wrong by just trying to spend all day to figure out the solution. Just get your dumb butt in there and just figure it out and we'll work from there. That's how I like to do things. So, you know, I think that this paralysis by analysis, right? This happens to a lot of people. Yes. A lot of people get hung up and get in that cycle and they never get to a point where they take the plunge. And I think a lot of that is probably fear-based. You had a great quote you had posted uh, recently on, on Insta. It said, fear is not real. Danger mm. is real. Fear mm. is a choice. Absolutely. But I believe that wholeheartedly and every, uh, every fiber in my body, whatever the saying is, because fear is definitely um, something that I always tell people, uh, achieving is only believing, excelling is only inhaling everything around you. So achieving, you just got to believe. And then if you want to excel, you have to inhale everything. Listen to smart podcasts like this, read books, get out there, start flexing your muscles, get experience, become practical. Um, it's, it's lovely to be doing everything theoretical, but I need you to really take it to the next level, which means I need you to give all of yourself. Yeah. So, uh, all right, let's, let's get into the meat and potatoes here, right? How did you make that first move? Were you, were you still working when you bought the first property? So I'm going to walk you through the strategy. So the strategy was, and I always tell people, is three C's. One is intellectual capital. Two is um, financial capital. And three is social capital. So when I came into this world, the, the first thing I had to really focus on was that intellectual capital. And so what I mean by intellectual capital is how do we feed our intellect? And so you could do that by listening to smart uh, podcasts like this. Also check out his page, KJ Consulting. You could read books, get a teacher, a coach. So you're reading books and all that. You're, you're feeding that intellectual part. You may get a real estate license. You don't have to, but feed the intellectual part. So I did that up until uh, 2009. So I'm getting all that intellectual experience from working on Wall Street, understanding businesses and everything. And then what I'm also doing is the financial capital. When I came into this world, I was born in abject poverty, poor as hell. Uh, so damn poor, one, we were missing one of the O's in the word poor. So, um, so I had to figure out how I'm going to make money. So financial capital is either you can figure out you can get loans, credit cards, or you can get a job or what have you. So I had to start saving money for that first down payment. And then the third thing is social capital. And that's the relationships you make in business, your friends, family. The social capital will help you find people to work on your property, find people to help finance your property, find people to become partners with you, find people to, to believe in your vision. 
So what I did is at 26, I, I saved enough money for a down payment. I bought, I said, I'm going to keep working because of financial part. I'm going to keep working from uh, 2009 all the way to 2020. So I worked that whole time period, keeping my nine to five, because with the rental income, all the rental income can go in the bank and save it. The other thing I did is I bought cheap property. So I, for example, I bought a property for $22,000, a three bedroom, one bath, and it was all for auction.com. And I spent $17,000 in it. So I spent $22,000 to buy the property, $17,000 to fix it up. I'm $39,000 in. I was able to fix it up within 45 days. And then I was able to appraise, that property was appraised for $115,000. So I was able to refi, cash out, take about 80 something thousand dollars, put that into a bank account. Imagine doing that for 10 times over a 10 year period. Now you have like $800,000 saved in a bank account. And imagine if the rental income from that property is about like 10,000 a year. Um, after you pay like your mortgage, say you're getting 5,000, 5,000 times 5,000 times 10 mean that now you have $50,000. But remember, you have 10 of these houses. So now you have $500,000 plus 800,000. So you probably have close to a million or over a million dollars saved. And that's why I went from one property in 2009 to nine properties in 2018 and then 35 properties in 2019 because I was able to take, say, for instance, I bought a triplex for $200,000, put 30% down, that $60,000 down payment, guess where it came from? It came from my big saving cash reserve because I still had my nine to five. Then I was able to buy a 12 unit for $450,000 put 25% down, that's like about 112 or something, give or take. Guess where that came from? From that big cash reserve. So by being patient, delayed gratification, I was able to arrive at this destination. And so I went from one unit in 2009, nine units in 2018, 35 units in 2019, and then 105 units in 2020 because I was patient and I kept my job and I kept saving my rental income and also saving my cash out money. And over that time period, I, I capitalized on the three R's, which is one, your track record. So by showing the banks and everyone that I'm serious, I understand how to refi, understand the whole process from A to Z. I convinced people that I was an expert. The next thing is I leveraged relationships. And that's the second R. So all those relationships with banks and contractors, I update them, let them know that I'm sending deposits to the bank so they know that I'm not, a, I'm not interested in a one-night stand. I'm interested in marriage. So I came strong with these banks. And the third thing is your reputation. So the first R is your track record. The second one is your relationship. And the third one is your reputation. Once you have the reputation, then everybody's going to start giving you the best terms. So like I did a deal for $1.3 million and I got only had to put 20% down in the middle of, uh, of a pandemic and, and got interest rate fixed at 3.19% for five years, which some people say that's unheard of. Wow. So it, it's because of that reputation. So that's how my business has evolved since 2009 because I was very methodical and thoughtful and patient, and I understand the three C's, intellectual capital, social capital, financial capital. I understand the three R's, track record, relationships, and reputation. 
And so I leveraged those three, those three things on the R side and on the C side to uh, achieve uh, ultimately financial freedom, which I believe is transformational wealth. So now what I'm at, I'm at a point now, what I mean by transformational wealth is normally what we think about is we think about generational wealth. I buy a house, I leave it for my children, which is nice, a couple of generations. But I said, how can I change that? How can we do something, what Joe and I call transformational wealth, which is left to right? And what I mean by that is I'll buy a, a million dollar property and my brother Christian is going to be my real estate agent. So he's going to get a 3% commission. He serves as my agent. That commission helps him do two things. One, he has a down payment. So now he and his young family have a house in Abington. So now they're able to buy a house today, not 30 years from now, but today, transformational wealth. Then my brother works on another million dollar deal that I do. He gets another 3% commission. Guess what else happens? He's able to loan, able to give his loved ones, his in-laws, his new wife, he's able to help them buy um, a house. So now they have a duplex. So now you have this family for instance, I was just a poor kid. Now my brother has has wealth and now his in-laws have wealth. And then the other thing I do is my niece is one of my interns. And also my other brother helps out with the business. My aunt helps out with the business. She'll do cleaning. She cleans all my units in 85 units in the Philadelphia area. So what we're doing, and I encourage them also to open up Roth RAs. I say, this is manager. You may be a 1099 or a day laborer, but you got to put this money aside and not giving it back so you put it into a retirement account. Because what we're doing is creating transformational wealth versus that generational. I love generational wealth. It sounds cool. It's the buzzword. But at KJ Consulting, we're focused on the, the transformational wealth. And the way we got that is we went through the three C's and we went through the three R's. And that's how we ended up at this destination. So uh, again, I'll a lot of amazing information there. I just want to pull some of that apart for the audience because you you laid down some amazing truth and some some strategies that I think are absolutely critical uh, people understand. So first off, you're subscribing to the Burr method, right? Buy, rehab, rent, refi, repeat. So you're going in, you're identifying uh, sites and, and assets that uh, good chance are going to be in disrepair and they're going to need work, right? Yes. So you're, you're purchasing that um, up front. Are you financing that acquisition? Are you buying that oh, cash? So, so for instance, I had bought like a let. I bought a property for sixty-seven thousand um, when I early on. So, if, if we make the numbers easy, say it was sixty thousand, I will put fifteen percent down, and so you put seven thousand five hundred down, and then you'll spend seventeen thousand for the rehab. Um, and I don't do full, I, these were not full guts. They're what I call easy breezy cover girls. So you can get them done in 30 days. You go in there and the thing is that it's not lipstick because we're not, we making this thing look so pretty, you look like Queen Latifah. So it's a, it's a, it's an easy breezy cover girl, make you look really good. So we go in there, we do a light rehab. So you get the 7,500, imagine you're, you're saving that for the year. And then you may open up one credit card in your personal name at a credit union where They'll say you get $15,000. You can hold that for uh, for the whole year or nine months interest-free. And you also can transfer the money into your checking account without paying a transfer fee like you would have to at Bank of America. So that's how I was able to do that and did it at a constant pace for the first 10 years, which is really realistic and very basic that other people can do. Um, and the thing is that you just got to make sure you understand the framework and how to analyze markets. And that's what we teach in our course so Joe invests like in Indiana. Some of my students invest in Columbus, Ohio. Some invest in Maine. 
all around the country. And so what you have to do is you have to figure out how do you apply a, a, a thoughtful framework that can work regardless of where you are. And that that's how, I, so you're right about how I approach it, but I'm not one of those guys that do full guts and get money from hard money lenders. I've never used a hard money lender. I use small banks to credit unions. And now because I'm with the big boys in the major leagues, now I use the big boys. So um, folks, what KR is talking about is you're not going in and, and you know, taking crazy. Some of these hard money loans are so, so, so difficult to swallow or even doing like a 203K rehab loan. He's taking sites that are not full guts, meaning they're going to have a functional kitchen. They're going to have a functional bathroom. It's it's to a point where it's financeable, right? The bank is comfortable enough to extend uh, credit on the site. So you're, you're finding these things, you're going in, that's where you're, you're deploying cash. You're renovating the, the site getting yeah. it to a point where it's rent ready, right? Yeah. And now are you seeking market rents, program rents? How are you doing that? I always, my rents, when I buy something, I, I bought like a short uh, a short sell or foreclose or ROE property, but I'm buying the ones that are not ugly looking. They're, they're, they just need to be dressed up. And the rents used to be like, say $650 a month. After I do those repairs, I raised the rent to like $1,200 or $1,100. Because what happened is that a lot of these properties, the mom and pops, they're mismanaging their asset. And so they, they, what I mean by mismanagement is that they, this one lady, she owned these two properties for 20 years and she let her friends live there. She never raised the rent. And so it became a, a short sell. I said, what the hell? You better tell your friends to raise the damn rent. As soon as I took over, I raised the rent. Um, and so I raised the rent to market level or even above market level because I, what I want to give people is a champagne experience at liquor prices. And so once you understand how to provide uh, a product that's that's unbelievable, people will come. And, and so that's what I tend to do. And the people that are coming, are they uh, are, are you renting through programs or are you doing market rent? All market renters. Yep. All, all market, market renters. So yep. do you have like a program that you put them through to qualify them? Oh, yes. So that's what I learned early on doing my own property management when I was in my 20s. As I said, I don't want to hire somebody. I said, I only have one property right now. And if I bring in 10000 a year and, and some of them make you pay 10% because it's a single family versus the apartment building. I said, I can't be giving away $1,000 because after I pay the mortgage and everything, I, I'm only left with like 5000 for myself. I said, I'm basically going to walk home with $4,000. So I decided to learn how to do it on my own. So we have a process where we screen the tenants um, personally. And what we do is we, we, we do the background check, the credit and all that. But we also do a phone interview. We talk to like two of your previous landlords. We also um, like to go, we say, you got to see our residents. We like to see your residents. So we like to have an interview with you, an in-person interview at your residence that's on wow. your and meet all the people that you actually um, plan on living with. We want to meet the dog as well. And we want to use your restroom because we want to see how you live. And so if the porch is really sloppy and dirty when we go visit, what we say is the porch for me and we won't come back. We won't we won't invite you. It's like you get invited to final rounds if you got selected for a job, because when I see my properties, to me, that is my that's pretty much my heart walking around. And I don't just want to give my heart to anybody. I work way too hard for this. Um, and we spend a lot of time on selection. A lot of property manager and companies, they, they don't do that. Um, but for us, it, to me, I have to, because I can't let anybody mess, my, my, do anything bad to my children. It's like you drop your children off at daycare. I just can't do that. I love the idea of 
doing the interview in their current residence. I, I haven't heard that before. I've been in the business for 25 years and we've been involved with a, a number of different landlords, but I absolutely love that idea. Uh, it's the match the, the address on the ID. <laughs> Can't have us go to your friend's houses. I love it. Okay, so uh, you're going through the process. You bought it, you rehabbed it, you're getting ready to rent. You you get the right tenant for your, your, your kids, right? And now you you've gone in, you've raised the rent up from what was four, five, six hundred to twelve, thirteen hundred dollars. Now you go knock back on the bank's door and you say, Hey, this property now is producing at a much higher level. You get it reappraised and you're pulling that cash out. Yep. And we put it into a bank account. Don't go and spend it on watches or fancy stuff. Yep. That's where nine to five. Yep. You said something earlier that I, I made a note here, delayed gratification. So many people get stuck right at this spot. They come in, they do everything right. They make a deal. They pull some money out on the refinance and they think, wow, this is, this wasn't so hard. I'm going to do this over and over. Let me go grab that Benz and let me go. You know, they start doing things outside of their comfort zone. And before you know it, um, you've done unbelievable damage to your ability to scale. Folks, the money that you're pulling out in rent and in your refinances should be the holy grail, does not get touched money. And the yep. impact of you compounding that and investing every dollar back in until you get to a plateau, set, set a goal for yourself. And then mm -hmm. maybe at, at some point you start to enjoy some of the fruit there. But it is so important for you to continue to compound and reinvest that money as you're moving through the process. Yes. So are you um, at this point, I'm sure you're not. But did you start off with one family homes I mean, with two families? Oh, I started off the first nine uh, houses are exactly the same in size. So they, they were three bedroom, one and a half bath or three bedrooms and one bath. And the reason why I tell people I wanted that is because. I analyzed the market and I noticed that some people want to trade up. If you get a two bedroom, one bath, some people that has too small. If you get a four bedroom, it's too big. So I wanted to get something really small that I can figure out how much my cost would be to rehab it. So I know exactly how big the bathrooms would be. I know I need a 24 inch vanity all the time. So I was able to really customize it. So what, what Joe and I do, we, we like to, at KJ Consulting is pretty much teach you like the Apple way of doing business in real estate. And so, for the first nine single families, all of them exactly the same. Three bedroom, one and a half bath, a small row home, exactly the same format, brick. We try not to get grass in the front if possible. So we make it very clean and simple. And then in 2019, when I started buying apartment buildings, that's when I got the triplex and got a, a, six, a, six, a six unit and a five unit and a 12 unit all in the, uh, the same year. Um, and then after that, I got bigger and the biggest one is a 24 unit and a 14 unit with a restaurant down below. Um, and so that was that was my approach. It was all single families. And my approach also over the first for the first nine single families, all kept them in my personal name because you'll get out. And a lot of people tell you, you need to put them in an LLC. I, we do not preach that. We think you should put it in your personal name so that one, you can get a longer duration. Your personal name, you can get it for 30 years fixed. And versus if it's in an LLC, it'll be like 20 years, uh, 20 years duration. Um, and then the other thing is that it, in the LLC, it's only fixed for five years versus in your personal name is fixed for 30 years. 
And also the interest rate is lower in your personal name versus in the LLC where it may be one to two points higher. So you're going to get higher cash flows. And, and when you're when you're poor or when you're starting off, you have limited means, we need that cash flow to be as high as hell. And so the other thing people don't realize is that you actually can get an umbrella insurance to protect you. So that was a big part of the strategy is how can I build up that cash reserve from the cash refis and also the cash flows over those first 10 years? Because you need that for the large down payments. If you hear a lot of people that want to jump right into syndication. For me, it was I didn't want to go that route because I wanted to have a lot of ownership. And so if you want to have a lot of ownership, you're going to have to come up with large down payments. So uh, for those who are not aware, the process that KR is describing, as you're refinancing and you're pulling out 50, 60, 70, 80, $100,000 on these refinances, that is not a taxable event. That is your money that you get to put into the bank and redeploy. It's only when you sell downstream that you may or may not have a taxable event, depending on how long you owned it and what the structure is and everything else. Okay, so uh, you're pulling this money out and you're starting to scale. Uh, did it, did you go out at any point and do uh, raises? Did you bring in other people's monies or did you just continue to build off your own? So what the strategy was to build up the first nine years from 2009, 2018, just build up my own cash reserve, which is several hundred thousand dollars. And then in 2019, go from nine units to 35 units. And still, I own all of those. All of them are in my, in my business name or my name. And then I got all the way up to 40 units in my own name or my LLCs. And then what's going to happen is, say, for instance, you have like, let's say, eight, 800,000 or 500,000, you're going to start running through your own money. It's going to go down. It's going to go down. And you're no longer going to have those large down payments. So you want to buy something for a million dollars in 2020. You're probably sitting on it. You only want to use 100,000 of your own cash. Then you're going to have to get 100,000 from someone else. So therefore, you may give up some part. You may decide to do the partnership. So that's why I said you start with the track record, the relationships, and then a reputation, and then people want to partner with you. So that's how you start to scale using your own platform, your own properties. But um, of course, I started getting partners. Joe and I are partner on three properties together um, in the Philadelphia area um, with another partner. So as I got bigger and bigger and ran through my own funds, then I started to partner. So. As you're scaling like this, you know, I have to ask, how, how are you keeping up? Who's, who's, you know, invoicing, who's collecting rents, who's dealing with issues with the tenants? So what the thing is that the 85 units in the Philadelphia area, I have a business called um, KR2 Management. That's my property management business. And so like my brother and my stepmom and my other brother and my aunt, they all help out with that, with those businesses. Um, and so they're really, really helpful. And the way I, and when I was talking about transformational wealth, the way you incentivize people is just like the approach you think about the startups. When you have startups, they may not pay you, but they'll give you equity. So what you can do is you can write, give them some equity in one of your LLCs. You also can write them in your will. Um, you have to be creative. And so I've done a really good job at that. So my family members in the Philadelphia area, they collect all the, the rent. We use, um, we're smart, so we're going to use automate systems. So we have Buildium, which is one of the apps we use. Uh, and so that helps. And then in, in Harrisburg, I have a team. But my team in Philadelphia, we do landscaping, we do snow removal, we do everything in-house. 
Um, and then in Harrisburg, we'll send a team up there sometimes, but I have a team out in Harrisburg that we work with. And Joe has a team out in Indiana that does property management. So now we have those relationships. We're able to get good terms and, and we know what to watch and what, to, what questions to ask. So like, if you take our course, we give you a list of what questions to ask a future property manager or a realtor to make sure that you're getting the bang for your buck and doing your analysis right. Cause it's just like dating, right? I tell people approach everything like dating. If you're not asking the right questions, you may wake up and say, damn, how did I get in this situation? So I tell people, take your time, get to know the person before you marry them. It may feel good one night, but you never know what you're going to get if you don't protect yourself. So I always say, make sure you have the right, ask the right questions. All of us may go to the, all of us may go to church, but we may not leave the altar married. So that, that's how I approach everything. So you're actually you're creating the food chain that you're vertically integrating. You're not going outside. You're keeping it in the family. Yes. You're literally creating, taking pieces of the food chain and you're building infrastructure, vertically integrating it into your, you know, circle of influence. And you, as a rising tide should, you're lifting all ships as you move along here yes. and you're keeping all of this stuff under the same umbrella. Yes. So I have a, I have about, I have a couple of LLCs like KR management, K2 management, K say, KJ, K, K, KJ Lawn, KJ2, consult. we have a bunch of them. So I, I, what, I, what I tell people is that, so my business partner prior to working with me, he wasn't a millionaire. In 2018, he owned only zero properties. Now he owns close to uh, 60, 60 units. So he was able to scale up. He didn't have to go to slow path because he was able to leverage my relationships. When you buy these big apartment buildings and things of that, that nature, they want to make sure you have experience. They want to make sure you have the down payment, but they also want to make sure you have the net worth. And so my net worth opened up doors for us. And eventually a bunch of people that are in my inner circle, what I mean by community me, we're able to elevate the entire community um, because you're able to give those people a seat at the table. Amazing. So there are a million things to look for when you're looking for a property. There's a million different ways of trying to evaluate is the, the money in and the time worth the return and the investment. Uh, I know your, your course uh, offers a lot of these, these different kinds of tips and tricks. You know, For example, I noticed on one of your posts, uh, you talked about how people kind of get goo goo gaga about big square footage, right? They see a big home and they think, whoa, that, that's bigger the better. Not necessarily, right? You guys talk about all those little details about the bigger the square footage, the more you got to renovate, the more you got to upkeep, the more you got to take care of. Uh, low maintenance, no grass in the front, full brick. These yeah. are the tips and tricks that people uh, will pull from from your course. Uh, you know, I can't believe it, but we've already blown through 50 minutes. As we start to wrap up here, can you just talk a little bit more about the course? How do people find out uh, about it and, and how do they subscribe? How do they find you? Yeah. So I, uh, KJ Consulting, which is K-A-Y-J-A-Y-C-O-N-S-U-L-T-I-N-G. Uh, the IG is the best place to find us. Click on the bio on our uh, IG page because on our website, you can subscribe. And what we do is we send out periodically an email telling you about what we're doing across the 105 properties. You get to know, like we're replacing faucets, toilets, we're putting on new doors, we're raising rent, we rehab things, went from renting something for 650 to now we're renting the apartments for 900 a piece. And the, the, the 24 unit I just bought, I just bought. So we explained to you methodically the things, the steps that we're taking. Uh, for our course, we're doing a four, uh, a four hour course is gonna be on July 10th. 
and it's from 10 30 uh a.m until 2 30 p.m because we have some people on the west coast and what that course does is number one you'll get access to joe and i for the next 12 months it's not a one night stand we're going to work with you explain our framework and then do a check-in once a month for the next 12 months to make sure you you don't embarrass us and also give you time to digest the information and in the course what we do is the first part we're going to go through some theory and some key terms and ask questions. And then the second part, we're going to go into case studies where we're going to go right before you on Zoom and take you to the websites and show you our step by step framework to analyze any city in the country and then how to analyze any type of deal between a one to four unit. And then at the end of the course, you'll get like 10 pages of all our key terms, best practices, key notes. And then you're also going to get the Excel um, files as well that you can also refer to. And all you have to do is um, put your numbers in that in those models and they'll tell you if it's good or bad. But the great thing is that you'll have access to us um, and you'll also get a list of our contacts. So we'll connect you with our people around the country who can pretty much, we're showing you the glove. If you put it on, you can wear the glove and you'll be bad. And uh, it's very, very simple. That's what we're giving that's very different from a lot of people is that we're really committed to your success. Um, for me, science, selling someone a course for $300, it's not, it's not going to make or break me, but I want to have an impact. And I think that that will be my legacy, uh, a way of giving back. Um, because I know that I wish when I was younger, someone was teaching me these things and make it really practical. So, yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty much the course in a nutshell. And it's for $349. Um, it normally will go for like $449, but... We're doing it 349 um, for students, and we like to keep our classes intimate. And this is our this will be our fourth class. Um, we've already sold some tickets, so we try to keep it to a small number so we can personalize it. So that's July 10th from 10:30 a.m. to 2:30 p.m. It's 349. You get the course, and you get access to Kr and Joe over the next 12 month period, <clears throat> folks. Um, you know, how do you argue with the success story here? It's remarkable. Um, KR, I, I wish you and Joe all the success in the world. God bless. I love what you guys are doing. I love your energy and your enthusiasm. And uh, look, if you ever need anything up this way, please don't uh, hesitate a minute to reach out. Oh, yeah. And you're in New York. So we're, we're both in New York. So close by. We'll definitely have to catch up. Love being on the program. Great questions. It was so much fun. Thanks so much, everyone out there. Please stay safe.